at Power Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 18 months, no payments and no interest, or $300 off each window, $700 off a Pell entry system, and $1,000 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Well, it's small consolation, but all the problems we have with out-of-control juvenile criminals here in southeastern Wisconsin, it's it's not necessarily limited, I guess, to southeastern Wisconsin. Alex was just referring to this story, which is just unbelievable on so many levels. Friday afternoon in Madison, the, the Beltline, which is, of course, the, the major freeway that runs around Madison, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So you're talking about... Well, people trying to get out of town on a Friday afternoon, you know, it, it's it's that sort of thing. So it's it's rush hour, at least the start of rush hour. Here's the story. Six teenagers were arrested Friday after crashing a stolen car onto the Beltline and fleeing into oncoming traffic. Fleeing into oncoming traffic. So they're running into oncoming traffic on the freeway with one 14-year-old jumping off a bridge into a marsh. The group of teenagers had stolen the vehicle from Sun Prairie around 3 o'clock on Friday. They fled onto the Beltline after being spotted by police a few minutes later in the area of Schroeder Road and South Whitney Way. The driver of the vehicle, 18-year-old Avion K. Howard, then crashed into another vehicle near Monona Drive. At that point in time, it prompted him and the other occupants to, wait for it, flee jump the median and run into oncoming traffic. The incident stalled Beltline traffic during the weekend rush hour. Now you wonder, you know, you know how the story could have been been different, which is if when you're running down the wrong way on the freeway, half of these kids get hit and killed, which is not something that's beyond the range of possibility. And you know the more and more this stuff happens, that that's going to happen at some point in time. You just hope that we could get a handle on all this car theft and the fleeing from police and all. You hope we can get a handle on it before more people die. Am I optimistic? Not necessarily. Okay, so you've got these punks that are all running. They've crashed the stolen car after leading the cops on a chase. They're now running the wrong way on the freeway. While most of the occupants were quickly arrested, one of them, a 14-year-old boy, jumped off the bridge into the marsh below during Friday's rainstorm. Let me read that again. While most of them were quickly arrested, a 14-year-old jumps off a bridge into a marsh uh, during Friday's rainstorm. Okay, well, now we've ratcheted up, ratcheted up stupid to a whole different level. It's one thing to run on the freeway into oncoming traffic, but now we jump off a bridge in a major rainstorm into a marsh. What could possibly go wrong there? Madison firefighters in the Dane County Sheriff's Office provided police with boats and thermal imaging to look for the 14-year-old in the marsh, who is lucky he did not break a leg 
or break his neck when he dro- jumped off the bridge, and he's lucky he didn't ra- drown as he's in a pouring rainstorm, you know, stuck in a marsh that they've got to get boats to go out and find him. It took authorities 90 minutes to find him. The teen was eventually taken to the hospital and then to the juvenile reception center on charges of being party to driving a stolen vehicle and resisting arrest. Two other occupants of the vehicle, 15 and 16-year-old boys, were arrested on tentative charges of being a party to driving a stolen vehicle and obstruction. The driver, the 18-year-old, was cited for hit and run and taken to the Dane County Jail on charges of driving a stolen vehicle and obstruction. The vehicle's two other occupants, two 17-year-olds, were taken to jail as well. Well, Hopefully they were not only taken to jail, but hopefully they are going to stay in jail for a little period of time. But again, the dazzling detail about this story is it's not just the criminal behavior, but it's the recklessness it's the fleeing from the cops. It's the complete and total disregard for anybody else's safety. And then it is the absolute total stupidity that here, we're going to try to escape from the police, so let's run into traffic on the belt line in Madison. All six of these punks, including the idiot who jumped off the bridge into the marsh, they should be thanking their lucky stars that they are not dead. And if this stuff goes on and on, the story is going to be different. It's not just, oh, you're stolen, you're charged with being party to a crime of, stole, of stealing a car. It's going to be you're in the morgue. And you wish you could get the, these messages out. But unfortunately, that is not happening. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's get started. The war in Ukraine continues to wage on. Russia is, I think, committing war crimes, right and left. The invasion, as we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, is stalled. Putin thought he was going to be able to just steamroller into the country. He thought he'd have Kiev in two days, three days at the most. That is not happening. The land invasion is pretty much bogged down. And so what they're doing is they're switching to tactics that were used by Hitler during the Blitz. They're just destroying civilian population centers in an effort to, I, I don't know, intimidate the civilian population. And you look at what's what's going on in this beautiful country, you've already got a quarter of the population, about 10 million people that have already fled. They've become refugees. Everybody else is hunkered in for a long fight. And Vladimir Putin appears content to just destroy the country. You know, so even even if he is able to win, there's not going to be anything to there's not going to be anything to enjoy. They're just destroying this country, and they're running pretty much unchecked. Well, when we talked about you know the involvement of NATO and things like that last week, one of the questions that one of our texters or callers asked, which was a very good one, is what what's going on with the UN? I mean, I thought we had the United Nations to bring nations together and and stop this type of stuff. And somebody said, well, what, what about U.N. peacekeepers? Well, there's a story that I was looking at today. The United Nations Security Council has convened almost a dozen meetings on Ukraine since late January. Six of those have come since Russia's actually began its invasion. The resulting... Meetings scheduled to condemn Russia's invasion, calling for a ceasefire, calling for humanitarian corridors, have achieved virtually nothing. Why? Because Russia, as one of the five permanent members of the 15-member Security Council, has veto power and so far has used that veto to halt any action 
against it. Now, the United Nations was formed after World War II with the aim of halting future wars. Well, how's that working out? Because the Security Council is presently being used by Russia to prevent any meaningful action against it. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the United States, and Donald Trump raised this issue, the United States is the principal funder for the United Nations. Now, the United Nations budget, you can calculate it in many ways. There's the budget, and then there's all sorts of other agencies that operate under the umbrella of the United Nations. But just just the budget alone, the United States contributes 22% of the budget, 674 million, my numbers are from 2019. To give you an idea, Russia contributes 73 million, 2.4%. And yet Russia occupies a permanent spot on the UN Security Council and has effectively vetoed any any hint of action that the rest of the world might take other than the General Assembly you know, passed a resolution which is completely meaningless condemning Russia's invasion. But otherwise, the U.N. sits on the sidelines watching this. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm not being rhetorical here. I, I think the United Nations, in, in theory, you know, is, is a great sort of thing. You get the world body together to deal with worldwide problems. But in a situation like this, where you have the evil empire of Russia, because of their position on the Security Council, effectively neuters the United Nations, which raises the question of why do we even have a United Nations if this is going to be the result? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Now, look, I'm not one of these America First guys who thinks that we have no role in the world. I, matter of fact, I think if you look at what NATO is doing now, it underscores how wrong former President Trump was when he started talking about pulling out of NATO. Because NATO is accomplishing a lot now. But at the same time, you look at the United Nations, and the United Nations has done virtually nothing other than one General Assembly resolution that has no teeth to it at all as far as actively trying to deter Russia from its brutal invasion of Ukraine. Why? Well, because the Security Council, Russia is one of the permanent members, they get a veto, so nothing's going to happen. I mean, what is the purpose of having a United Nations if you have one of the permanent members of the Security Council who is also one of the aggressors in this case who um, ended up saying that, okay, we're, we're going to veto everything. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, Russia got the permanent spot on the Security Council because they were one of the victors of World War II. I'm not exactly sure, but theoretically they could be removed from that position by having the U.N. General Assembly vote to change the articles of the U.N. Well, I mean, my, my, per- my point is, what is the purpose of having a United Nations if it can do nothing to to deter the aggression of one of its member nations. Jeff, how can invading another country not automatically disqualify Russia from being on the 
Security Council and voting on resolutions. What a joke. Well, yeah, that's kind of the, the, the point here. And I'm not anti-United Nations, but this is demonstrating what a paper tiger it is. Jeff, the United Nations is nothing more than an irrelevant debate society. Always has been, always will be. I believe it needs to be defunded. Jeff, in my opinion, the United States should pull all funding to the UN as well as the World Health Organization. Both of these institutions no longer are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Because of that, in my opinion, we should not be funding them with vast amounts of money. And that's why, I, I mean, I do underscore that actually the U.S. sends billions of dollars to the, the UN, not just as part of its budget, but to support all the different organizations that operate, like I say, under the U.N. umbrella. But if you just look at budget contributions, 22% of the U.N.'s basic budget comes from the U.S. Russia contributes 2.4%, 2.4%, million compared to $674 million. And yet, because of that role, despite the minuscule contributions, not that it would really make any difference, but Russia is able to block actions when it is the aggressor nation and it is creating the huge humanitarian crisis that the rest of the world is going to have to deal with as 10 million Ukrainians flee the country. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Well, I think you said it best when, in theory, it's great. Uh, just like the League of Nations after World War One, in theory, was great, you know, done by Woodrow Wilson. Uh, that didn't stop World War II, and the United Nations certainly isn't stopping this. Um, we do give entirely too much money to that and do not, you know, reap the benefit of it. Uh, it's obviously doing nothing in a world calamity right now, and yep. nothing is happening. They're doing absolutely nothing. Um, your one caller is right. We should not be sending money to the United Nations or the WHO because neither one of them really benefit us. They're not doing any, certainly the United Nations isn't helping Ukraine at all. And, and, and Mike, thanks for the call. And they certainly don't benefit the world. I mean, that, and what what is the purpose? And I and I do, I mean, I do say this. At what what is the purpose of having a United Nations if 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 you cannot condemn, if you cannot take apti- active steps to stop this type of of aggression that, that's going on? I mean, somebody last week said, well, what about U.N. peacekeeping forces? What do you mean U.N. peacekeeping forces? This is, this is a war. There is no peace at this point in time to keep. So in, in, plus Russia, they're going to veto anything. I mean, they're not going to allow people to come in and get in the middle of this conflict. I mean, this this is a shooting war. And the U.N., between two member nations, the Ukraine and Russia, and the UN is completely and totally toothless when it comes to dealing with this. Now, I, I don't ultimately know what the answer is, other than to say that this has to start with outrage from the member nations of the United Nations, which have to look at this and say, "What well, you know, what what is the, what is our purpose?" And I like one of the phrases one of our textures use: "Is it just this this debating society? Well, society? Well, it's not even a debating society because." You, you, at least with a debate, you, you typically, you know, have a decision at some point in time. Okay, this is the better alternative. Here, because of Russia's power you, to veto anything, you guarantee that nothing is going to happen, which then again makes me wonder, why do you have the United Nations? Now, in fairness, in fairness, like I said earlier, NATO, I think, has really stepped up to the plate. You can have the argument that does the United, Na- does the United States 
contribute more proportionally than it should to NATO. But at least in this case, you have the NATO countries that have united against the threat that is Russia. The NATO countries are providing in various forms, and some people think it should be more, but they're providing aid and assistance to um, Ukraine. Um, They have united to implement sanctions across the board. So NATO, in this case, is stepping up, and I think we should be glad that there is a NATO to unite again, the the West against the evil that is Russia. But you would think it would be the United Nations. And this is just demonstrating clearly how useless the United Nations has become. If not now, when? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. WTMJ. During the the program yesterday, I I was telling you about something that happened to Apple. If you were were trying to use a number of the Apple um, services yesterday, you you found that it wasn't working. Um, Apple had a widespread network outage that knocked out Apple Music, Apple iCloud, knocked the App Store offline. It uh, stopped a number of um, Apple employees from being able to work at home and things like that. And, and this this went on um, if, if you were at an Apple store trying to buy something, good luck with it because they weren't able to do this. Um, it was a massive out outage for for Apple but it's you know it's something that ends up happening from time to time and, and we talked about it and now it's been fixed and I know a number of people had sent me texts saying well do you think this could be the Russians that are doing this and is this a cyber attack and there wasn't any evidence suggesting that and as it turns out it it wasn't it appears that it was something to have that had to do with like an internal failure as to what was going on and and they, they were able to fix it the Apple Apple told staff that the out, outage stemmed from domain name system or DNS problems. DNS failures occur when a server fails to connect to an internet protocol address and are often caused by human errors. So it it wasn't a a cyber attack, but even just this few hours of an outage with Apple yesterday caused a, a huge disruption, all of which brings me back to something that President Biden was talking about yesterday. He is now saying that he is concerned that Russian cyber attacks are coming. Yesterday, he made a speech, and this is what he said. He said, the more Putin's back is against the wall, the greater the severity of the tactics he may employ. One of the tools he's most likely to use, in my view, in our view, is cyber attacks. He said, the magnitude of Russia's cyber capacity is fairly consequential, and he says, it's, it's coming. He said, you know, based on evolving intelligence, we believe the Russian government is exploring options for potential cyber attacks. And they're worried that Russia is right now targeting U.S. critical infrastructure, however you want to define that. And apparently what what the president was talking about yesterday is how, how businesses need to be you know, more alert and need to be more responsible. Today we are reiterating these warnings and we are doing so based on evolving threat intelligence that the Russian government is exploring options for potential cyber attacks on critical infrastructure in the United States. Okay, so that's, that is what they're saying. They say we don't know for sure that this is going to happen, but we believe that there is a clear and present danger and that Russia has this capability. So what would be an attack on critical infrastructure? Well, 
it, it, it could be anything. It could be uh, attacking the, the banking system and, and trying to disrupt or, or take down, you know, bank, the bank system so that you, you couldn't get money out of your ATM or, or financial trading or, or things like that. I mean, it could be anything. It could be going after, um, supply chain sort of things. It could be attacking the electrical grid, for example. It could pretty much be anything. But clearly, the United States believes that this is a definite possibility that Russia is exploring to the extent that they're now telling companies, hey, you need to be really aware of this because we think that as Putin gets more and more desperate, this is the one of the things that he might do in response to the sanctions, which is lash out with cyber attacks. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, I, I think it's it's all well and good for the president to say, hey, look, this is where our latest intelligence is. And, you know, you companies, you need to be aware of it. You know, banking industries, you know, whatever. You, you need to tighten this up because we, we think Russia is going to do this. And, and that's that's all well and good. Now, one thing that the president didn't say yesterday, and I'm not suggesting that he hasn't considered it, and he, he just decided not to say it, was he didn't say what the United States was going to do in response to this. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If we are subjected to some sort of cyber attack from inside Russia, whether it's sponsored by the government or coming from people who are supportive of the government um, and operate, I don't know, with their blessing. All right. Is that is that like a declaration of cyber warfare? And if we are attacked by the Russians, who've already demonstrated that they you know, like to meddle in things in the United States, should we respond in kind? Is there any excuse for us not responding in kind? Because my guess is anything Russia could do to us, we could probably do back to Russia in spades. Or is this just an unnecessary escalation? My response would be, if Russia decides to uh, launch a cyber attack on this country, we should respond in kind, because my guess is we are better positioned, especially since we're not running a war in Ukraine, we're better positioned right now to deal with it than they would be. Should we respond in kind if this happens? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The president didn't talk about our response. He just said, hey, my intelligence information says this might be coming. My, my B point to that would be, Maybe he should have said, hey, if anything like this happens, you know, be prepared because we can do the same thing. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. I mean, j- just think about this. Think how frustrated you get when the Internet is down at, at your house. And, and you, you can't, it's, I mean, for, believe it or not, there was a time where lots of us lived before with this, in this environment before Al Gore invented the Internet. We, we didn't have that sort of thing. But now that we have it, we're all so incredibly dependent on it. Think about the frustration. I can't get onto the Internet. Or I, for some reason, I, I can't log on and, and check my bank balance. Or I can't do this or whatever. Well, imagine the frustration that you would have if all of a sudden this country were the target of a major cyber attack, people in Russia deciding, here's what we're going to do. We don't like all these sanctions. We don't like what's happened. So we're going to lash out and we're going to we're going to go after the banking system and we're going to try to uh, 
take down all the different accounts that, that people have at various large banks, or we're going to go after the energy grid, and we're going to try to take down the computer systems that direct, I don't know how, you know, how energy is transferred or whatever. I, I don't claim to be an expert in that regard, but these cyber attacks can be incredibly, incredibly disruptive. And the Biden administration is saying they, they believe that as Putin becomes incredibly more um, as he becomes more desperate, given the impact of the sanctions from the West and given his failure to accomplish what he's trying to accomplish militarily in Ukraine, that cyber attacks become more likely. My feeling would be if Russia does go ahead and launch a cyber attack on the United States, that is that is the equivalent of a declaration of war. And I'm not saying you start throwing in the bombs, but I am saying that at that point in time, I, I think all is fair in love and war, and you certainly respond in kind. And I have to believe that if Russia can disrupt our banking system, et cetera, et cetera, our power grids, we should be able to do these same things. And I think it would – I'm, I'm not trying to escalate this. I've been one of these people over the last month and a half who's been trying to preach restraint, but I believe – a cyber attack from Russia on our sister a country would be an attack on this country that needs to be responded to in kind. 855-616-1620. Michael in Shorewood. Michael, you're on WTMJ. Yes, Jeff. Why wait? Why not take a preemptive strike now? Is there anything wrong with that? Well, it, because then you've you've escalated this. So, okay, so we, we launch we launch our own cyber attack and we, we, we create whatever carnage we can create. What does Russia do? What's their next step? I don't know, but uh, well. I think uh, we have to take some kind of action. We just can't sit and talk about it. Well, uh, thanks for calling, Michael. I mean, I, I just I think that I think that the action we take needs to be proportional. And, and yes, we have intelligence information indicating that Russia might be considering this. And I think President Biden is right to say, okay, you know, we're aware of this. I want companies to try to do everything they can to, you know, upgrade their security. I, I do think, you know, this is another one where you say, hey, look, you know, just, just like we've said with NATO, you attack a NATO country. That's that changes the whole dynamic when it comes to our use of force. I think it's clearly appropriate to say if there are cyber attacks, we are going to respond in kind. Now, my, my problem with your suggestion you offer, Michael, is, I mean, yeah, let, let's let's take them out. Let's try to take out these systems. Okay, my all, my question that I think you always have to answer, ask in situations like this is, and then what? So we launch our own cyber attack and we, I don't know, screw up their energy grid or, or whatever whatever we decide to do okay then then what does russia do and i I think that the you got to come up with an answer better than i don't know because all right in response to that does that then cause them to launch their own cyber attack or do they say okay this is a declaration of war and now you know we're we're going to start the bombs are going to start flying in poland or or wherever i'm just saying you have to I, i think you have to just consider where you're going with this but the idea of of attacking preemptively is not appealing to me and just be just like the the idea of sending troops into the Ukraine, especially after we've said that we wouldn't do that, is not appealing to me either. I mean, candidly, I, I believe Putin is losing this war. I, I know some people disagree with that assessment, but I, I don't think he's winning. And if 
you know, as as the days go on and you're not having the military success and it, the Kremlin, the, the Ukraine numbers are, I believe, that 17,000 Russian soldiers have been killed. And the Kremlin put out a number yesterday. The official Kremlin news agency came out and said 10,000, and then it was immediately taken down. I think somebody in the Kremlin probably said, are we crazy? Why would we tell people that we've lost 10,000 troops, 10,000 or 17,000? It's still this enormous loss of, of life. And the longer this goes on, the worse it gets for Vladimir Putin. But I, I just I think by staying the course and being prepared to respond, we're doing the right thing. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I agree. I don't see how us being the aggressor in this situation would be beneficial. Jeff, I think striking force is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. I think the best thing we can do is take the power grids off line. Jeff, does Russia even have a financial system left to destroy? No, but there's there's all sorts of things that you could do if you wanted to do this. Jeff, any in-kind response is not a deterrent. I think we need to strike back harder. Well, oh, okay, let, let's cross that bridge when we come to it. You know, what, what the, the scope of the response should be if we are subject to a cyber attack, I, I think that that's a conversation to have when and if that happens. If the notion is preemptive strike, I don't think so. Jeff, I think China will eventually back Russia, and we are already experiencing problems here with inflation. We do not need to get into a war with Russia and China and probably North Korea. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that China wants anything to do with Russia. And and again, I, I know maybe I'm a, a contraindicator on that, and, and I know there's an historical alliance that's kind of developed with China and Russia over the last couple decades in particular uh, against the West. But as, as I've said frequently, China is much different than, than Russia. And Russia is a giant gas station, and that's pretty much it. China it, it trades with the whole world. And I think China, I think right now China's dealing with a couple of problems. First of all, I think they thought that Russia was going to be much more successful in Ukraine than they were. Secondly, even though China is a repressive totalitarian regime, I, I think people in China are appalled that, first of all, Russia, is its military might isn't what everybody thought it was. And secondly, they're looking at what Russia is doing and, and the humanitarian costs and the destruction of civilians and the murders and things like that. And I think China's looking at it saying, do we really want to be in bed with, with this country or is this an opportunity for us to maybe even establish deeper ties with the, the west i mean do we want to be aligned with the russias and the north koreas and the syrias of the world or given all whether well, our economy is developing and things like that is this an opportunity maybe to sort of be a peacemaker and, and not just be you know a partner of russia in an endeavor that i think most people in the world understand is just fundamentally um wrong um jeff i feel like neville chamberlain is my prime minister and hitler invading the weimar appeasement doesn't work this is how we got world war ii nip the aggression in the bud well see here's where it's different though than world war ii nobody was stopping hitler Hitler was rolling from one country to another with very, very little resistance. Here, that's not what's happening. Putin can't take the Ukraine. Putin is bogged down. 
Putin has become an international pariah. The free world is pretty much united and is imposing all sorts of economic sanctions. You've got Ukraine, which is being leveled, unfortunately, in some areas. But Ukraine is even pushing back, and the Russian army in certain pots, spots is in is in retreat. So this isn't like Hitler rampaging all through you know Western Europe. This is Putin making an ill-considered um, invasion that has essentially united the world against him in a way that Hitler's aggression did not unite the world, at least in until after Pearl Harbor. So I, I don't I don't know that that parallel works out very well. But going back to the whole idea of cyber attacks, I think we need to be prepared. I think Biden needs to be talking tough, and I think Biden needs to be willing to back that talk up if this happens. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, one of the reasons that I have been cautioning against an overreaction by that let let's let, let's escalate this thing is is I really do believe Russia's losing this war. Um, I, I read a lot of stuff from from Great Britain, and you take it with a grain of salt because you know obviously some of it might be propaganda and some of it might be fog of war. But one of the latest reports, Ukraine now it's Ukraine, they're claiming Russian troops face running out of food in three days, and the war could be over in in weeks. And they're reporting, and I think this is backed up that the, the Russian advance is stalled, and they're having huge supply problems. According to available information, Russia occupation forces occupying, operating the territory of Ukraine have ammunition and food supplies of no more than three days. The situation is similar with fuel, which is replenished by tank trucks. The occupiers were unable to organize a pipeline to meet the needs of the grouping of troops. Putin expected a quick victory when he ordered the invasion on February 23rd, but his forces have faced fierce resistance. The invasion has seen Russian pilots blasted out of the sky, tanks ambushed. Um, Ukraine claims to have killed about 15,000 Russian troops and have destroyed a large amount of equipment. Russia has admitted, at least temporarily, that it's lost nearly 10,000 troops. So I guess I, I, I look at all this and I say that at, at some point in time, if the advance stalls, you can't supply the troops. I guess there's two things you can do. You can, you can escalate. You can start killing even more civilians with cruise missiles or whatever it is that they're doing. Or you can try to find some sort of diplomatic off-ramp. I'm just arguing that with Russia apparently losing right now, it doesn't make any sense to escalate and push him into something um, greater. All right. When we come back, the Pledge of Allegiance in the People's Republic of Madison. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. All right, here is the story from the People's Republic of Madison. As reported at Madison.com, no more Pledge of Allegiance. Dane County official wants divisive oath axed from meetings here's what they write a day supervisor way from the second district which is on the east side of madison is pushing to remove the pledge of allegiance from the county boards so apparently before they start county board heaven forbid 
They have allegiance. Now, if you don't stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance, it's not like they, they toss you out, but they do have the Pledge of Allegiance at the start of this government, which last, I know it's the People's Republic of Madison. It was in the state of Wisconsin and the United States of America. Anyway, supervisor <coughs> pushing to remove the Pledge of Allegiance from the agenda arguing it is an inappropriate opening to public meetings and not all surrounding governments use it. She's introduced the meeting well as the word prayer from the board's rules. Um, so that is the Daily Double, which are undergoing a draft. It just, it just doesn't feel like it's appropriate. Seeing the Pledge of Allegiance. A pluralistic supervisor, we want to be inclusive and representative at the end of the day, I think it's divisive. Let me let that linger out there in the atmosphere. It doesn't, they're talking about the Pledge of Allegiance at a county board meeting. It doesn't feel like it's appropriate for us to be doing when in a pluralistic society, whatever that means, we want to be inclusive and representative. At the end of the day, I think it is divisive. Um, while the pledge's inclusion of under God has long been controversial, much of the original words actually were penned by a socialist. Francis Bellamy, a Baptist minister, created the pledge as a patriotic program for the nation's schools to coincide with the 1892 Columbian Exposition. Uh, the line under God was added by President Dwight Eisenhower in 1954 at the height of the Cold War. Weg Leitner, who represents Madison's Near East Side, of course, likened opposition to saying the pledge to professional athletes who take a knee in support of racial justice movements when the national anthem is played at sporting events. There's other ways to show community and shared values other than saying the Pledge of Allegiance. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let us discuss this concept, that you now have an elected representative in Madison who feels that standing up and, and at least offering county board members the opportunity to pledge allegiance to the country that they represent, she feels that that is divisive that it is exclusionary, that it does not show community and shared values? 855-616-1620. What do you think about that? <laughs> and I guess I, in, in this particular situation, I almost don't know where to start with this kind of stuff. Because like I say, I, do I think you should be mandated? Do I think that they should walk around and the sergeant of arms demands that everybody on the board of supervisors has to stand up and recite the Pledge of Allegiance before the meetings. Do I think that they have to be made to do that? No, I'm not arguing that. But in what world do we live where publicly elected officials in the United States of America find it divisive non -exclu or exclusionary to stand up and to, I don't know, say the Pledge, or at least have the group have the opportunity to say the Pledge of Allegiance. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I'd be willing to bet that the people of Ukraine would love to have the opportunity to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Well, I think there is an element to that. All right, the supervisor says it's divisive. 
we should eliminate this whole thing because, well, this is sort of like football players kneeling during the national anthem. Well, okay, my response would be that's not an excuse not to say the Pledge of Allegiance. If, Supervisor Wegleitner, you find it to be inappropriate, that you do not feel in your heart of hearts that you can pledge allegiance to the United States— Okay, well then, you can, if you want to take a knee during the Pledge of Allegiance, I say go with God, you you do it. If that's how you feel about this, fine, you can do it. I'm not saying that you should be mandated to say the pledge, but why you think a public body should not do this is absolutely beyond me. 855-616-1620. Jeff, this Madison supervisor is off the rails. No kidding. How can the words with liberty and justice and all be divisive? This is just the world's gone topsy-turvy, or at least this elected representative is. Um, Jeff, just my opinion, but this is another example of why we are where we are when it comes to politics. The way left and the way right have completely lost their mind. Jeff, only in the People's Republic of Madison would you eliminate the Pledge of Allegiance because you've ignored the phrase one nation under God. Who do they think that they are talking about? Jeff, she uses big words. I'm simple. She's kooky who wants publicity. What can you say? All right. 855-616-1620. Back to discuss in just a minute. All right. Is the Pledge of Allegiance divisive? And again, we're not talking about do you make school kids stand up and say it? That That's a whole different story. I don't have a problem with that, you know, by starting the school day with it. But we're not talking about that. We are talking about public meetings of elected representatives in the United States of America. And this supervisor thinks it's divisive. I think she's wacky. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. So this is what this, 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 this county supervisor in Dane County who's pushing to have the Pledge of Allegiance eliminated from you know the county meeting's agenda. They started with a Pledge of Allegiance. Oh, my gosh. They pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Can you imagine the horror of having elected officials in Wisconsin and in Dane County in particular having to pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America? She says, it doesn't feel like it's appropriate for us to be doing this when in a pluralistic society we want to be inclusive and representative. This is just liberal doublespeak. I mean, pluralistic society, we want to be inclusive and representative. How is saying the Pledge of Allegiance for elected officials in this country, how is that not inclusive and not representative? At the end of the day, I think it's divisive. If this lady thinks that saying the Pledge of Allegiance is divisive, that tells you more about where she comes from than the Pledge of Allegiance comes from. Now, again, like I said earlier, I I don't think that you should have a sergeant of arms that makes everybody stand up and recite it. But in this country, to get to the idea that we can't say it because some snowflake in Madison is going to feel that they're excluded because... I don't know. They're saying the Pledge of Allegiance. What what would you have them do? Play the Russian national anthem? 855-616-1620. Brad in Illinois. Brad, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how are you today? Well, this frustrates me. <laughs> I admit it. Yeah, go ahead. You're on the air. Well, I, I, think, I think this is a pretty simple problem. Uh, the powers that be. Okay. I've, I've heard you. Thank you for your opinion. This is what we're going to do. You have some choices. You can leave. 
you can resign or you can stand there quietly. If you can't do any one of those three, don't know what to tell you. Yeah. And and just leave it at that because the more we uh I'm going you know, it's the it's the inch and the mile thing. If you give him, well, we're just we're just talking about the pledge. Well, we're just talking about kneeling. We're just talking about disrespecting. Okay, yeah, I I think that. Um, no, I, I'm with you, Brett. I mean, so thanks for calling. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm with you. The response is, well, thank you very much. We appreciate your your input, and you know, um, when when we come to that, the thirty seconds it says to 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 stay the pledge. If you want to sit down, or you want to kneel, or you want to turn your back, you want to do everything you possibly can. That that's fine. Now, it's interesting because in this, you've got the spring elections coming up, and apparently there are a lot of. Believe it or not, the Madison Board of Supervisors is about ready to get even more liberal than it already is because you've got a number of, like, way out there lefties who are going to get elected. They're running unopposed. And so what what she's already saying is, well, even if the current board won't agree to this, I I think I've got a lot more of my peeps coming in, and and we're, we're going to, like, push this through because I think that they are going to be sensitive to this. Jeff, this is why people are losing trust in, in government. Well, um, you know, what can you say? Um, Jeff, end of day is proud to say, I, at the end of the day, I'm proud to say that I tear up every time uh, I hear the Pledge of Allegiance because of the wonderful country we have. These people should spend a little time where people are not as privileged as <clears throat> we are. Jeff, the Madison supervisor needs to expand her vocabulary and understanding of the words that she chooses to use. Does she understand the focus of the Pledge of Allegiance? There's some great second-grade books written to assist our children with understanding what the Pledge of Allegiance is all about. Jeff, if you don't want to say the Pledge of Allegiance, then you should find another country that you like better and move there. Well, see, I don't even, I don't even go that far. I don't have a problem if, as an individual, you decide that for whatever reason— you cannot say the Pledge of Allegiance to this country. Now, I do think it is, it's highly ironic that someone who would aspire to be an elected official and become an elected official in this country <clears throat> would feel that way about their, their country. I, so I think that, that that's ironic in the extreme. But okay, I'm, I'm willing to live with that. But to deny then other people the opportunity to say the Pledge of Allegiance because they don't share your wacky and strange interpretation of what the pledge is all about, that's where I, I think, again, it raises all sorts of red flags on this entire situation. Jeff, I guess I'm totally confused. How do you work for a government or represent people um, for a, co- a government you don't feel allegiance to? I, that's That would seem to me to be a, a very, very good question a, as well. And we haven't even gotten to the one nation under God aspect. That's not her only beef. I'm sure that, that she's appalled by the fact that the Pledge of Allegiance includes the phrase under God. But that's not it, It's just the whole thing. I, can you imagine that we would require people to pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America? Jerry in Madison. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Thanks, Jeff. Um, Hi, Jerry. First, I appreciate you understanding Madison politics. I think most people, you know, commenting, you know, they they all are right and have common sense comments, but they don't realize, you know, how one-sided 
uncompromising, no such thing as compromise in that city exists, you know, under any circumstances. She's not a snowflake. She's dangerous. I mean, I mean, look her resume up. She's, she's a lawyer that is on the board of every single liberal group in that city and state. I mean, she's, she's disgusting. I can't even, I live in Madison half for decades, but once a week I, you know, I'm reading something like this. <laughs> Yeah, well, it did. No, Jerry, thanks for calling. I mean, again, it's it's like, look, and I appreciate, I, I guess I, I just, what we're really, and I, I say this sincerely, I, I, I've always described people who raise issues like this as being the politically correct and the perpetually offended. See, I appreciate that there are real issues out there that depending on your view of, of politics or the worldview or whatever, you, you reasonable people can disagree about things. And I, I, I kind of pride myself on, on, on the show where in general, we, we try to discuss issues and we come up with ideas. And I, I don't necessarily think that there's a right or wrong. I think a lot of times that there, there's a better or worse. And maybe you agree with me. Maybe you, you don't agree with me. But it's stuff like this. That This is the battle that, that you want to pick. Like how is anybody's life? going to be made materially better if you succeed in getting the Pledge of Allegiance banned from the beginning of county board meetings? What 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 sort of satisfaction do you get? Let's say that you can, at some point in time, convince some of your you know wacky progressive colleagues that, yes, we need to do this because somebody somewhere might be offended by this. All right, how, how have you advanced the lives of any one of your single representatives. All you have done is create the, the divisiveness that you decide that you, you want to condemn. Because I will tell you, I think it is a lot more divisive to say to the vast majority of people in Madison, whether they are conservative or liberal, I think the vast majority of the citizens, even in the People's Republic of Madison, would agree that well, what do you mean? It's a county board meeting. Why Why wouldn't we start it with the Pledge of Allegiance? And I would have one other comment, and it's kind of a, kind of like bootstraps on with what one of our, our texters was alluding to. As I've been watching what's going on in Ukraine, I, I keep thinking of a few years ago, we did one of our listener trips, and it was a cruise on a river cruise on the Danube. We started out in, in Budapest, and I've told this story before, and Budapest a great city that was kind of devastated during World War II. Budapest is actually two cities divided by the Danube. It's the Buda, it's Buda and, and Pest. And during World War II, the Russians were on one side and the Germans were on the other. And for the better part of four years, they just lobbed bombs back and forth, pretty much decimated these cities. And, and now they've been rebuilt and, and they're wonderful. So we were there. That's where the cruise started off. And I know my wife Fran and I were just struck by talking to the guides because Budapest was under the Iron Curtain before the Iron Curtain fell in, what, 1989. And and you talk to these guides who grew up there under Soviet rule. And, and my God, you wish I wish I could grab every one of them and bring them to the United States and maybe have them talk about what it was like living under communist rule and what it was like not having the, the freedoms that we have in, the, in this country. And, and whether it was the economic problems or the limits of supply or whatever, you listen to these guys and you really appreciate that for all the problems we have, what a wonderful country this is. And I understand their problems. And the idea that anybody would suggest that pledging allegiance to this country before a public meeting is divisive, exclusionary, or whatever 
in crazy terms that they think of. To me, it's just disgraceful. Now, will they do it? You know, who knows? Because like Jerry was saying, it is, of course, Madison, and you can't believe what the politics of Madison are. But I'm going to tell you, if it ever gets to the point where we've now decided we can't have the Pledge of Allegiance said before public meetings, we are in a sad, sad state. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. I I, I just we, we heard during the last break the Bob Donovan for mayor ad. I, I don't. I want to be honest, I, I think it's probably unlikely that Bob Donovan is going to win, but I will say this, I, I think he'd be a great mayor, and I, I love, first of all, any any ad that incorporates, I said this yesterday, Albert the Alley Cat, I, I, I'm just sold with it, and I, maybe some people just don't understand the reference, but years and years ago, if you grew up around here on Channel 6, the, the, the weather was done by a guy named Ward Allen, who was not a meteorologist, Ward Allen and Albert. And Albert was a sock puppet. <laughs> and I, I said this yesterday. I, I actually, I knew, I knew the family of the guy that was, was the voice of Albert the Alley Cat. But it was, it was just kind of this legendary thing. Now, you could never do something like that nowadays because everybody's meteorologists and everybody's got millions of dollars of computer equipment to tell us there's a 50% chance it's going to rain, which, in other words, is heads. It's going to rain, tails. It's not going to rain. But, but back then, it was just... It was quintessential Milwaukee, and and I, I love I just love the reference. I've loved Bonovan's commercials. He's he's battling and he's battling that the city hall behemoth behemoth, and I I, I just I think he's going to outperform expectations because he's hitting a lot of the right issues. But I'm afraid it's probably not going to be enough. But nevertheless, I just absolutely love those ads. All right, here's something that I do not love, and let me I want to talk about Northridge Shopping Center. And I understand that for many of you, you know exactly what I am talking about, and you will share these recollections. But we have people who listen to the program who aren't necessarily familiar with the area who or who didn't live in the area like many of us did when, when Northridge was developing. All right, in the era of the big shopping malls, Around here, there was Mayfair Shopping Mall, and then there was Brookfield Square. Bayshore had a shopping mall, and then in the 70s, you had Southridge. Now, Southridge is still there. It's not thriving like it did once, but Southridge was a big deal. Then a few years after they built Southridge on the south side, they built Northridge. The Northridge Mall is located Brown Deer Road and, I don't know, 76th Street on on west for like another 10 blocks or, or whatever and northridge in its heyday in its 80s was absolutely huge if like me you were a kid that grew up on the north shore in in the 80s you you went to northridge they had a movie theater that had six theaters they had countless restaurants some um, couple of my really close friends worked at the Farrell's restaurant for example that, that used to be out there so you had the, the the you and then you had four anchor stores boston store you had a sears you had a jc penny and the fourth one kind of went from time to time. I think it was a Macy's at one point in time. I, I forget. But but there were you you had all that that was there. And then in the ring surrounding Northridge, you had you had restaurants, you had car dealers, you had a big Toys R Us store. I can remember there used to be a Captain Steak Joint, which was a restaurant that uh, that Marcus ran. It, it was it was a thriving area. And, you know, there were always people there. Well, for a variety of reasons, Northridge 
fell into decline. There was a guy named Jesse Anderson who murdered his wife in the parking lot of TGI Fridays, which was a satellite restaurant there. And then he said that the murder was committed by these two black kids or something like that. And that contributed to this like fear that it wasn't safe. And that was one of the many factors. But what happened, there's a, you know, we've talked about the demise of Northridge, but Northridge went downhill pretty quickly. And what happened is a lot of the retail stores started pulling out and then the retail stores started pulling out. And then you had the shoppers who just didn't go there anymore because there wasn't anything that they wanted to buy. And this thriving mall in the space of gosh in the space of like 10 years went from thriving mall to just nothing and northridge has been closed since 2003 essentially so what's happened is northridge has completely and totally gone to seed now the buildings that we're talking about are are most of northridge the um the boston store building that that's owned by the city but the rest of of the mall we're talking about the former jc penny store the former yonkers store the food court and the various stores okay the mall has been closed since 2003 and it has been an eyesore since then closed fallen into disrepair Nobody's spending money to keep up the the, the interior of, of the mall. You've had vandals that, that break in. They steal the copper pipes. You know, they steal pretty much anything that, that's not nailed down. In 2003, a company called Black Spruce by its, its predecessor company. Okay, so the mall is closed in 2003. In 2008, this Black Spruce moves in. They, they, buy, they buy the mall. That other than the Boston store part. And they start talking about how what we want to do is we're going to start this like import. We're going to start this giant import um, pavilion for like Chinese products and things like that. And they, they've got the, they've got these drawings that make it look like this wonderful facility and things like that. Well, that's been since 2008. They've done nothing. And meanwhile, the building has continued to deteriorate. So what the city wants to do is the city wants to condemn it and move on. Because, again, it's a health hazard, it's a safety risk, and it's blighted. So the way the law works is that you can condemn a building if the value of the repairs to fix a building is more than than 50% of the value of the building. So follow me on this. The value of Northridge right now is estimated at 80,000 bucks. 80,000 bucks, which is almost unthinkable if you were again, if you were if you could remember, you know what Northridge was at the time. The value to tear it to repair it, to in other words, bring it up to what you would need to do to restore it to what it was is about 6 million dollars about six million dollars so the city goes in and they say it it just it it this is way below the levels of what of our condemnation thing there's no way anybody's going to put the money into this i mean if you've got buildings that are worth x amount of dollars and it's going to cost you six million dollars to upgrade this nobody's going to do it 
and, and this 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 group that's talking about the Chinese market. Nobody nobody has shopping malls now, in, anyways. I mean, that, that's just not maybe in two thousand five, but in two thousand twenty two, you know, nobody's putting any money into big shopping malls. That's just not how people shop anymore. But anyhow, so the city comes in, they say we're going to condemn this. We want to tear it down, and we want to find some other use for it. We're going to condemn it. We're going to take it. Maybe we'll sell it for light industrial or whatever. But we got to do something with it because it's essentially been this way for 20 years. So a circuit judge, correctly in my opinion, gives them the okay. All right, the the numbers don't make sense. Here, you can tear it down. The Chinese company appeals that order. And in a two-to-one decision that gets it, I think, very, very wrong, the Court of Appeals reverses the circuit court, says, nope, nope, we're not going to let the city have it right now. Because even though it is correct to say that, you know, it would cost like $6 million to restore it to what it was, and even though this company talked about how they wanted to build a trademark, now on appeal they say, well, you know, maybe we won't use it for that. Maybe we'll just use it as empty buildings and just let it sit there. And the cost of restoring those empty buildings is a lot less than $6 million if we're just going to use it and let it sit there as a dilapidated eyesore. And by a two-to-one decision, the Court of Appeals says, yeah, we, we buy that. We're going to send this back to the circuit court for them to consider it. So what this effectively does is allow Northridge to sit in its dilapidated, blighted state for another couple years as this Chinese company drags its feet and tries to maintain ownership of a building that they clearly have no intention of doing anything with. Meanwhile, the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee and people in that surrounding area, including southwest Mequon, you're you're left with this eyesore that is Northridge. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I just think this is a huge injustice. I think the Court of Appeals, in my opinion, the two judges that voted this way are wrong as a matter of law. I think this Chinese company is jerking around the city, and nothing is going to happen. All this decision does is guarantee that Northridge, which has been blighted for the last 20 years, will be blighted for another five or 10 years, and five or 10 years from now we will be in the same spot we currently are with dilapidated falling down buildings that provide a health and safety hazard 855-616-1620 isn't it way past time to just tear those buildings down and move on 855-616-1620 and my answer is not just yes but heck yes I'm sorry, stories like this make me say, get a mop, my head is going to explode. Northridge has been a blight for the last 20 years. You have, I I believe that this Asian outfit that that bought it in 2008 is just jerking people around. They have no intention of developing it. They talked about we're going to have this Asian trademark, and every time this story comes up, they, they, they they have the, these plans, and they show these people these plans, and it's all over TV, and everybody's, this is wonderful. Well, they haven't done anything in the last 15 years. I do not believe they have ever, any intent of doing anything. It would cost $6 million to get Northridge just even close up to code. Nobody's going to do that. So now they've changed their, their mode. They say, well, okay, it's, we, we're fighting the, the order to have this condemned because, well, well, maybe we won't use it as a trademark. We'll just use it as a, we'll just let it sit there as this falling down to 
dilapidated building, and it won't cost us anywhere near as much to repair. And unfortunately, two members of the Wisconsin Circuit Court have uh, Court of Appeals have guppied on on this particular argument, which all it does is allow this blight to stand there for another five, ten, fifteen years. Bill in Racine County. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Um, Hi, Bill. Listen to your show regularly. Thank you. Um, used to work on the northwest side of Milwaukee and frequented Northridge Mall a lot. Yeah. Uh, but now at this point, it's been 20 years. Um, who's paying the taxes on that property? Well, I think the group is, but Bill, keep in mind, it's only assessed at $81,000. Th- think yeah, that's the assessment. But- think, think about Northridge. Think about what that was and now they're saying the value of that whole thing is $81,000. So, yeah, I think the and taxes that's crazy. are crazy. I mean, I got I, I worked my butt off on work teaching on the northwest side of Milwaukee for over 20 years and uh, paying my taxes. Yeah. And it's like... It's, it, no, it I, no, it's, it, no, I mean, it, it's just, it's just, I think they're current on the taxes. I don't think that's it. But again, the assessed value is 81 grand. I don't know what the taxes are, but it's it's 81 grand on, on this thing that was this huge stuff. Now, look, I, I don't think, I, I think it's time to have a reality check here. Do I think that Northridge is ever going to come back a, as a as a viable shopping thing? No, shopping malls are, I mean, Mayfair's hanging in there, Brookfield Square is hanging in there, I guess, Southridge is sort of struggling, but that that's not the way of the future. Here's what should happen with Northridge. The thing should be, first of all, torn down and raised, and then, you know, maybe you can get some light industrial out there. I know a number of people always think it'd be a great spot for a juvenile prison that's a whole nother story but maybe but but letting letting northridge sit there empty and have vandals breaking in and having all the thefts somebody points out jeff over the years a paintball group rented it out used it for paintball wars that's wonderful another group turned it into a winter wonderland for kids in a video a year or two someone there was doing work and was electrocuted yeah i I remember um you know that that whole thing it's there jeff unless you're going to turn it into a park or something it's going to be a huge empty dirt lot if you just tear it down no i i think what's what's going to happen is is again you tear it down and then i think maybe some light industrial i think that's that's the future of it it's certainly not going to be shopping um martha in elkhorn martha you're on wtmj yes good afternoon um Hi, martha. of course 50 million years ago we we frequented that place, and towards the end of it, they even had an ice ring in that in that yeah. ice ring, ice skating ring. It was, and but the, like you said, the stores are not going to come back. It, that's a shame, but that's over, and it's bringing more crime into the area. There's homeless yes. people. There's people that break in and sleep, and it's bringing. That's sadly to say, that's an area that has enough crime anyway. So yeah. the people that are making these decisions have apple applesauce for brains. <laughs> thanks, thanks for the brain. call, Martha. <laughs> well, thanks for the call. Well, I mean, we're see, the, and the thing that's frustrating to me is, in my opinion, that the this, this Chinese ownership group, this Asian is jerking everybody around because that was the big thing. We're going to turn it into the, this giant Asian mart. Oh, okay, the trademark. Well, that never made any sense to me, but but okay. Well, then come up with the capital, put the $6 million in and restore it and then see if it's going to work. Well, now they have no intention of doing that. So now they've shifted. Well, we're not talking about
about this anymore. We, we think we should just be allowed to continue to have it as this blighted area, you know, where the roof leaks and the guy gets electrocuted and people break in and it offers nothing at all to the, the community. And I guess I don't know what the end game of, of this is. Just having that space and holding that space and contributing to, again, the blight. And yes, Martha, you, you are absolutely right. I, I know there are neighbors, and I know there are businesses in that area. And again, it breaks my heart what's going what's going on out there. Because I mean, I remember when that whole area w- was thriving. I remember when the, on the other side of Brown Deer Road, like 76th and Brown Deer, they had you know there was a Chi Chi's restaurant, and there were, there was all sorts of stuff. There was a shopping mall across the street that had a Target store. I think that Target's long gone. I, I apologize if it's still there, but I, it's I think that Target's gone, but they had all sorts of thriving stores and all up and down. Th- those days are over, and I understand that they're, they're not coming back for a variety of reasons, but that doesn't mean that you have to s- just allow this dilapidated building there, and I give the city credit. The city has tried to be aggressive with that. Tom in Illinois. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, I've um, done business in Milwaukee over the last 30 years and had clients up and down Brown Deer Road, so I saw the decline area firsthand. It was kind of sad. And if you go on YouTube, there's actually quite a few Urban Explorer videos that show the inside of the mall. It's um, mm-hmm. I don't know how they get in there without being arrested, but it's interesting to take a look. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, I mean, so what do you do with it? I mean, is, is there any reasonable chance that somebody's going to turn tear that into a, yeah, yeah, tear it down. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, thanks for the call, Tom. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I, look, I just think that's that's the that's the reality of where we are. And unfortunately, this decision by the Wisconsin Court of Appeals, and hopefully I would encourage the city to to appeal this to the state Supreme Court, because with all due respect, I, I, I spent about 20 minutes this morning reading the, the full Court of Appeals decision, so you don't have to. And I just think they're wrong. I, I just think they're, they've got this naive I, idea that, well, you know, we, we shouldn't, maybe we use the wrong standard and we should send it back to consider, you know, what the cost of repairing it as an empty, dilapidated building would be. Well, y- you got to do better than that. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Just a couple more texts. Jeff, the whole thing is very sad. I sure wish they could have saved them all or at least turned it into some other usable property. Yeah, I don't think they could have saved them all, but they could turn it into usable property that doesn't attract criminals and hurt people and maybe even add something to the surrounding area. Um, I grew up with it. I have many fond memories, including Ferrell's and Captain's Steak Joint. Jeff, as you were talking about this, I just drove by Northridge on my way to an appointment, and wow unbelievable we used to drive from heartland to go shopping there it was awesome tear it down and build a prison well that's you know I, I, again there's all sorts of things you could do with it but I'm, I'm here to tell you this decision guarantees that it is going to continue to be a blight for the foreseeable future and that is very very unfortunate and i think it's legally wrong but it's unfortunate right or wrong it's a bad result for the people of milwaukee back with more in just a couple minutes this is jeff wagner Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. During the break, one of our texters, just what we were talking about before, the, the, the eyesore and the blight that is Northridge, asked a couple questions. They said, can this order be appealed? Yes, the city can appeal it to the state Supreme Court. I would encourage them to do it because, again, I, I think the Court of Appeals got it wrong. 
I, that's just my assessment. I, I think they got it wrong. Then they say, well, you know, would the owners be willing to sell it? Well, yeah, I guess. But here, what? Who, who's going to buy it? As a practical matter, you know, what private company would come in? It's got an assessed value of $81,000. It is in such disrepair that they say if you were going to use it as a commercial lot, you would have to restore it. You'd, you'd, it would cost you $6 million. And nobody's going to put that money into a, a, a shopping mall at that location. It's just not going to happen. So then you might say, okay, well, maybe somebody would want to come in and buy it and raise it. Well, that that could be. But I I was trying during the break to put my hand on. I'd seen estimates as to what it's going to cost. It's going to cost a fortune to tear it down. I I mean, so, yeah, you you come in and and you buy it for whatever they want. Let's say that they're willing to take a quarter million dollars for this property, get them off the hook, and then what's it going to take? Another three-quarters of a million to tear the thing down? You know, whatever those costs are. Don't know what that number is, but my guess is it's pretty big. So who in their right mind is going to sink that kind of dough into that sort of location where it's going to be iffy at best? At least if the city condemned it, the city tears it down. So, I mean, I understand the taxpayers take that risk, but then you can go out and you can, you can have, you can try to bring businesses in without them having to take that huge upfront cost. But here's the bottom line. As, as long as you let this, this company keep it, nothing's going to happen. It's going to continue to be dilapidated. And 10 years from now, we're going to be having the same conversation. Okay. Let us completely change gears. Are you a fubber. Are you a fubber? P-H-U-B-B-E-R. A fubber. Now, you might say, what, what, what in the world is a fubber? Well, actually, this is a term that's been around for a while. You might not have heard it, but it's, it's the combination of two words, phone and snub. So, hence, a fubber is somebody who phone snubs. What, what What is phone snubbing? Well, fubbing is phone snubbing. It's the act of snubbing somebody by paying attention to your smartphone. So it happens when you start to ignore somebody you're talking with in person in favor of your mobile phone. So let, let me give you an example of, of what fubbing looks like. So let's say you're sitting at the dinner table and you're just about to have a meal with your spouse or your significant other, or whatever. And and all of a sudden, you know, the phone dings, and you get a text from a friend who lives a 1,000 miles away. Okay, you're, you're, you're eating dinner with your significant other. The phone dings. Well, you're a, you're a fubber if you, you stop eating, stop paying attention to your wife, read the text, and respond to it. Now, of course, there, there's nothing wrong with staying in touch with your friend. But the problem is you're paying no attention to your partner who's probably interested to know about your day and is now suddenly saying, well, okay, wait, I just, like in my case, if if my wife spent time cooking dinner because I don't cook dinner, she does that. I've cooked dinner and now you're you're responding to your friend halfway across the, the country. What the heck is that all about? Okay, here are a couple signs to determine whether you or your partner are fubbers. A fubber tends to check their phone every time it rings or dings, even in the middle of a conversation. A fubber is somebody who from the bathroom to the dinner table 
takes their phone almost everywhere. So you're at the house. I don't know. Your phone is on the table. You got to go to the john. You take your phone with you. You are a fubber. No matter what you're doing or who you are with, a fubber always keeps looking at their phone. A fubber may half-heartedly talk to the person they're with while they're busy texting other people who aren't around. Yeah, what were you saying, hon? That's fine. Well, what, what did you say? Yeah, I had a pretty good day. A fubber will immediately reach out for their phone when awkward silence or a lull in the conversation happens. So, you know, you're, you're talking to somebody and there's, there's kind of a pause or they turn away to check the score of the basketball game and, and you pull out your phone and you try to check it. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is there a fubber in your life? And how annoying is it? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I, I am vitally aware of this because I am not wedded to my phone like lots of people are wedded to their phones. And, of course, my my wife has become – she's a violent anti-fubber. You know, she's made a – she makes a point. And, and my wife knows everybody and has this incredible list of contacts and friends and things like that. And they're always reaching out. But I want to give her credit. She just – she has, as a general policy, you know, she will set aside time to check her emails and answer them. But if she's – if we're sitting at dinner or something or, or we're out with other people, she she is able to not look at her phone. 855-616-1620. Are you a fubber? And how annoying is is it jeff sorry i didn't hear what you said i was checking my phone you are a fubber 855-616-1620 is this and is it an annoyance you know if you're if you've got that fubber in your life or your friend or your significant other your spouse whatever and you're in the middle of a conversation with them and all of a sudden they're just obsessed with looking at their phone and by the way i i understand that there might be some time when you're expecting that really important phone call gee you know my my daughter is getting ready to go into labor any moment you know i'm waiting for this but let's face it that's not what most of the conversations are it's hey it's an ordinary conversation that could wait until after you finished your meal or after you were i don't know in a room by yourself 855-616-1620 we discuss in a moment i have been in in groups where there's one person for example just never stop looking at their their cell phone during you know a a 30 minute or a 60 minute or or a two-hour dinner or whatever and 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 that's fubbing in the extreme and you know there's all these stories out there i know it sounds kind of cutesy but it's really something that that breaks down relationships because you know that the person who's obsessed with staring at their cell phone the phone snubbing they're ignoring the person that they're with whether it's friends or a spouse or a significant other or whatever and sooner or later that other person starts to get a little bit honked off that it's like okay what is really so important that you you have to look at this all the time jeff we were going out to dinner to celebrate my brother-in-law's birthday my niece was in the back seat texting 
and checking her phone. I told her, we're going to celebrate your dad's birthday. I don't want to see your phone during dinner. She put it away. We had a nice meal. <laughs> That's it. Jeff, my best friend is a fubber. He stops over at my house or we go to dinner and he sits looking at his phone the entire time. He hardly hears a word I say. He looks at every ding and his phone is never out of his sight. It's really annoying. Yeah, that's that's fubbing. And so, see, what happens is sooner or later, the person who's being phone snubbed just gets sick of it. You know, it's like, okay, if I'm not important enough to pay attention to, fine, you know, you and your phone just... Go, you take your phone and sit by yourself. Um, Jeff, house policy, phones stay in the living room, not at the dinner table. Jeff, I definitely was one before I got rid of my Twitter account. It was so bad, I couldn't go five minutes without looking at my phone. Now that I don't have it, I barely look at my phone. Jeff, that's the new normal. Everyone does this all the time, including me, except I'm not too extremely addicted. I'm not a fubber, but I admit it's annoying when someone annoys me. Um, Jeff, I have a friend who does this when we're out to dinner. When it happens, I purposely make up an elaborate story so they get off their phone. See, I'm a little bit different. I say, put the phone away. You know, Jeff, I have been in so many restaurants where couples sit at tables and barely say two words to each other because of this. I think it's so incredibly sad. Yeah, it, it, it is. And it's one of the things that, again, I, I notice all all the time. I mean, I, I guess I'm really not addicted to to my cell phone. And I mean, I I mean, I check my emails for things. And again, I understand there's always going to be that time where you're expecting that that message that that's you, you just got to respond to. You know, okay, I'm I, I'm I'm waiting for this or whatever. But but that's not the vast majority of the cases. The most times, or at least my experience has been, um, you know, most times. Um, it's not that important. Jeff, I'm not a fubber. I usually leave it at home when I run errands, and it's definitely not in our bedroom at night. Well, yeah, yeah, that's that whole issue, you know, as well. Jeff, this is my, Jeff, this is my pet peeve. Don't assume you know why I'm on my phone in a restaurant. My husband and I work together all day long. Sigh, when work is over and we go out for dinner, we can hear people saying, is that couple going to get off their phones and have a normal conversation? My answer is no. This is our alone time to look at our messages and social media and is so peaceful. We don't want to talk as we've talked all day about everything. Well, you are in the extreme minority if 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 that's your case but if you're doing that not just to your husband but also to your friends and things like that then yes you are a fubber jeff it is our rule that phones are turned off um you know we we would play a game we don't do this all the time but i have certain friends who who are addicted to their cell phones and the deal is that when we go out to dinner, the first person that picks up their cell phone and looks at it, they're the ones responsible for having to pay the check. And I guarantee you, once you put that requirement in, nobody looks at their cell phones uh, again, period. I guess my response would also be, if you're waiting for that important of a message, if it's that key that you just absolutely have to have it, well, maybe you shouldn't be out to dinner in the first place. You know, maybe you should be back in your office or whatever, you know, waiting for that. Jeff, my daughter is a professional snubber. Um, she has perfected the talent of getting out of whatever conversation or situation she wants, checking for an important call or important message. She does, however, apply, politely apologize for being rude. It is rude. See, that's that's 
that's the thing. And again, I understand we get the one text from the one lady who says, well, it's our quiet time and my husband and I go out to dinner, but we're together too much anyways. So, you know, we, we like to stare at our phones, which is like, okay, why are you going out to dinner together? But beyond that, it is, it is rude and it's disrespectful, not just to your spouse, not just to your significant other, but it's disrespectful to whoever, whoever you're with. It's like, okay, why, why bother going out to dinner? Why bother going to the show? Why bother, you know, going over to somebody's house to play cards if you're going to be obsessed with looking at, at your phone? And I, I bring this up because this is starting to get more attention because as cell phones become more ubiquitous and as people get more and more addicted to, I got to look at Twitter or I've got to be constantly checking my email or this or that or the other thing, what's happening is it is you know, causing people to lose friends. And it is causing, you know, relationship breakdowns because sooner or later, one of the two parties just says, okay, well, that the, the, the phone and the messages and the Twitter and the Facebook or whatever is more important than I am. Fine, the two of you take it and go. So if you are a fubber, I've got certain tests for that. Um, but, you know, you have to, to do that. Jeff, my wife is not a fubber. However, she leaves her alerts on. So when you're trying to watch the game, her phone goes ping, ping, ping. It's just as annoying. Well, okay, that that's it. And for people who want to talk about this later on, the word is fubber. It's P-H-U-B-B-E-R. It's a product of phone snubbing. Fubber. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The next Milwaukee mayoral debate happens here, hosted by our partners at TMJ4 News. Tune in this Sunday at 6 p.m. as Cavalier Johnson and Bob Donovan discuss the issues that matter to you. Moderated by Charles Benson and Shannon Sims, you'll hear the entire debate live right here. The Milwaukee mayoral debate, Sunday at 6 o'clock on News Radio WTMJ. Hey, big day for the region. Uh, today is the day that the folks from Milwaukee are going to be making their final pitches to the committee, the Republican National Committee, as they try to push for the 2024 Republican National Convention. For people who haven't been keeping score at home, we, we all know the, the deal that the Democratic National Convention was planning to come to Milwaukee to be held in 2020. COVID messed that up, but it was really kind of a, a dry run for, for the city. And so the city has decided to go after the 2024 Republican National Convention, which would be just like I don't care what your politics are bringing the Democratic National Convention to Milwaukee would have been a big deal and bringing the RNC to Milwaukee would be a big deal as well Uh, there are there are two cities that are competing one is of course Milwaukee and one is Nashville Tennessee and both are, are actually are, are comparable in, in many respects. Um, the the hotel room situation is pretty similar. In Milwaukee, they say there are about 19,000 hotel rooms within 30 minutes of the main convention sites. Nashville has about 15,000 within a two-mile radius and 36,000 in the overall county. But both of them are, are big enough to do that. The convention is going to cost about $65 million, which is going to have to be money raised by the host committee. Milwaukee... And Wisconsin, I will tell you, is going to have no trouble doing that. I, I, 
I have it from very good authority that if, if Milwaukee gets it, the money will be there. Don't know about Nashville. Nashville is a very, very nice, vibrant town. The weather is good that time of year. The weather is, of course, great in Milwaukee in the summer, and we've got all those different attractions. The, the political advantage that Milwaukee has is, of course, the fact that Tennessee – an important state, but in all likelihood, that's going to be a Republican state. Um, Milwaukee in Wisconsin, very, very much a purple state. Um, I understand that, you know, Joe Biden won it in 2020, and yes, he did win it. Trump won it in 2016. So it's going to be very much in play, and parties like to have their conventions in states that are in play in the presidential year. So that's, you know, that's that's working as well. So, you know, both are compelling, have compelling stories. Both are very, very good cities. But if Milwaukee could land this, it would be a big deal. And hopefully if they get it and as they try to decide over the next couple months who gets it, you're not going to have Milwaukee County, Milwaukee City aldermen continuing to say stupid things about how, well, if they bring it here, we're going to make this demand and that demand and this other demand. Hopefully they will be smart enough to keep their mouths shut, not necessarily counting on it, but I am hoping. So very glad to have you with us. Brewers baseball at the top of the hour. Doesn't that sound great? It's great to have Brewers baseball back. And, of course, we're all leading up to opening day, which is going to be on the road this year because they they canceled the first week of the season. They're going to make it up during the course of the season. Opening day, um, what, April 7th? And then uh, April 14th is the home opener. Very much looking forward to that. All right. We talk about this a lot. Car theft is an epidemic. The the numbers are just staggering. Last year, almost 10,500 cars were stolen. That's almost 25 a day on the streets of Milwaukee. That's just the city of. This year, more cars are being stolen years to date than last year. 1,918 cars have been stolen thus far. 1,894 were stolen this same time last year. So last year it was a staggering number, and and we're ahead of that pace. It's just mind-boggling to me. Um, We've seen the numbers of the car thefts. The police apprehend like one person out of every 10. So there's one person apprehended for every 10 cars that are stolen, and about one out of 20 get prosecuted. It's just absolutely disgraceful. There's no question about it. And even if you get prosecuted, who knows what's going to happen to you? Pretty much nothing. So it's just an ongoing nightmare that does not appear to be getting any better. So Bob Donovan, who is one of the two candidates for mayor, he's come out with his proposals. Here's what he's talking about. He says, I can't believe how much our city has deteriorated in just the last two years. We have more stolen vehicles than Chicago, and they are like five times our size. And by the way, Donovan is absolutely right about that. He says, if I'm elected mayor... I would create a strike force that takes this issue seriously. It would be made up of a mix of current and retired officers, as well as officers from surrounding communities. He would seek to establish a $7,000 per instance restitution penalty for those caught stealing vehicles in addition to the existing penalties. And I would insist our district attorneys and our judges hold criminals appropriately accountable, juveniles and adults alike. I would insist that they be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, which is something that nobody on the Common Council calls for now, and certainly nobody in the mayor's office calls for as well. 
Um, accompanying his plan is a new Milwaukee-made product that would be installed in every vulnerable vehicle at no charge. And what they would do is this is essentially, it's a smartphone application that turns the device on or off. Trying to start a vehicle with the device in the off position makes it appear that the vehicle is broken as the engine will turn over but not start. We can put this in any vehicle. And Donovan says, hey, I'm going to go out. I'm going to try to get private money to install these. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I'm not saying Bob Donovan's plan is perfect, and I don't know that there's any perfect answer, but this is a good step. I mean, and it starts with having somebody in the mayor's office that is at least willing to acknowledge this is a problem and use the bully pulpit that is the Milwaukee mayor's office to start calling out the district attorney when when they don't make charging decisions. Because quite candidly, the fact that one out of 20 people, you know, who steal a car are, are, are prosecuted, that's, that is a disgraceful number. And you need somebody who's willing to sort of track these and maybe on a daily, on a weekly basis say, okay, these are the total number of cars that were stolen last week. These are the number of people that were caught and these are who they are. And this is what their prosecution strategy is. And, and if they're not delivering, you call them out. If it, the problem is the judges who aren't handing down decent sentences, well, you do that as well. The idea of a $7,000 per instance restitution penalty, I, I like it. Now, I understand it's going to be really difficult to try to collect that, but you know what? All right, you've got the 16-year-old or the 15-year-old kid that goes out and boosts a car. All right, you nail him with the restitution penalty, and maybe you even think about, wait for this, going after mom or dad to try to hold mom or dad li- liable for what the punk kid has done. 855-616-1620. What do you think? Cars theft task force and again you you can change the details i actually like using the technology to disable the engines as well so it makes it more difficult for people to steal cars now the rea- reality is then they're just going to vandalize the car but still stops them from getting in the car and driving away at 75 miles an hour 855-616-1620 i'm at least glad to see somebody like donovan talking about this problem because Otherwise, it's going to get worse, not better. 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620. Jeff, liberal Democrat here, but I agree with Donovan on this issue. What we're doing now isn't working. Michelle in Eagle. Michelle, good afternoon. Hi. Um, Hi. I agree with you 110%. Um, Years ago, my car was totaled. Well, I was out of town, by the way. Um, A 13-year-old kid had stolen another car from the neighborhood and was being chased by the police in the the pursuit, smashed my car, and um, ultimately he was caught by the police, but absolutely nothing happened to the 13-year-old kid and or the parents, and ultimately I had to pay high-risk insurance for the next five years, and nothing happened to the people that did it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad said, somebody's talking about it. I wish Donovan could win, but I kind of agree with you there, too. But You you said a 13-year-old? This was a 13-year-old that stole the car? Correct. Yeah, yeah a different car in the, like a Cadillac or something. I don't right. remember what it was, but right. he smashed into my car, totaled my car, 
in the process of trying to flee the police, and right. then he smashed into a tree. So then the police did catch him, but nothing yeah. happened. You yeah, know, no, it, he was too it, young it, it, to even have a weapon. Yeah, and it, 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 th- thanks for calling, Michelle. No, and it never does. That, that's that, that's it. That's why. I mean, you look at these staggering numbers. Out of ten thousand plus cars that were stolen last year, again, the estimates are only one out of every ten people are apprehended, and only one out of every twenty are prosecuted. And they estimate, and it, because it, it's so, you know, they don't catch anybody who does this. Hardly, statistically speaking, they, they estimate that about half of the cars are stolen by people who are sixteen and younger. And it's just, it's not. Not getting better. So, I mean, I think you have to start looking at things like holding the parents responsible. I like the $7,000 restitution penalty that you put in, and maybe you figure out a way to hold mom and dad responsible. Now, mom and dad can't always pay, but maybe it will give them an incentive to try to watch their, you know, their progressively educated teenager before he goes out and, and boosts, you know, somebody else's car. Jim in Hales Corners. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, uh, Jeff. I had a car stolen when I was a senior in high school. It was a Mustang, and I skipped school one day, and I went downtown, and it got stolen right next to Marquette. And uh, so I'm particularly keen on this subject, and uh, every time I go to uh, vote... And I try to find a conservative judge in, uh, in on on the ballot. I can't find a conservative judge on the ballot. Now, why is that? Uh, I, I, that's you know that's one of the keys here is that all these judges are such namby pambies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't put these people away when they should. What what's the deal with these uh, judges? Well, th- thanks for calling, Jim. I mean, I'll give you a couple theories. I, I don't know that I'd say that about all the judges, but it but it's true that. Many of the judges out there, they they want to bend over backwards to try to, I don't know, find ways of to think, dealing with the criminals without having to incarcerate them. Because, I mean, I'll tell you, one of the things that happens, if you've got a reputation that you're a tough judge, you get substituted against. The defense attorneys, the way it works under the law in Wisconsin is you can disqualify a judge that's assigned to your case. Um, you get you get one for free. Don't have to have any reasons for it, etc. It's a bad law, in my opinion. And so what happens is you have the defense bar that gets together and says, okay, that 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 guy or that gal, you know, she's a tough sentencer. He's a tough sentencer. Here, we're we're just going to try to put him out of business. So we're gonna we're going to just um, strike him. We're going to substitute against him. We're going to try to put him out of business. Well, judges don't like to have that happen to them. So what they end up doing is they end up bending over backwards not to hold people accountable. The, the law gives them outs to do that. The juvenile justice code is a mess and needs to be you know revamped. Jeff, how many 16-year-olds have $7,000? You can't get blood from a turnip. No, but you might be able to get it from mom and dad. Plus, not all the cars are being stolen by you know 16 years old i mean just because it doesn't apply to everybody in my opinion doesn't make it a a bad idea but the bigger point is what we're doing now just doesn't work And, and we need to figure out new ways to do that and again i'm not suggesting that that 
that Donovan's plan is perfect. But at least he's talking about holding people accountable, which is something that we do not do. And a task force that is committed to catching car thieves. And you know what? See, here's my my guess, and it's just anecdotal. It's just my sense. You know, last year they had 10,500 cars stolen. My guess is there weren't 10,500 separate car thieves. See, I don't think that's it. I think what's happening is there's a relatively small number of people who are stealing cars over and over again. If we were more aggressive in catching those people and getting them off the streets, because my guess is you steal one car, you probably then go out and you steal five or ten more. That is just my sense. You catch that person who's doing it, and in many cases, they're, they're one man or one woman crime waves. You get them off the streets, you hold them accountable, you send them to some sort of juvenile detention facility or whatever. We don't do that with car thieves in general which is just a huge mistake. You get them off the street, and you've probably accounted for 10 stolen cars. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Just a quick reminder, Milwaukee Brewers baseball coming up in just a couple minutes at the very top of the hour. By the way, car theft isn't the the only Milwaukee crime number that's absolutely through the roof. And this this is another just flat-out scary one. Last year, 193 homicides. And that... I will tell you, going back back in you know in another life when I was a federal prosecutor, 193 homicides in the city of Milwaukee would be absolutely unthinkable. Had 193 homicides though last year. That was not an aberration because in 2020 they had 190 homicides. But it, just when you think it can't get worse, it, it is right now currently. And this does not this does not include I don't think any murders, homicides that occurred in the last day or so, but year to date so far, 45, all right? Year to date last year, which was an all-time record for homicides, so apples to apples. Year to date, 22 last year, 45 this year. We are double the number of homicides, same time last year, same time this year, and last year was an all-time record. I mean, at, at this pace, and I, I don't I don't think it's it's going to continue, but at this pace, we we would be looking at close to 400 homicides. It's just unthinkable to have something like that happening in a city our size, and, and yet those are those are kind of what the numbers are. It's just absolutely staggering. And I, look, you've got these elections that are coming up, and I've been following them. I don't live in the city of Milwaukee, but I work in the city of Milwaukee, and I travel through the city of Milwaukee, and I go to places in the city of Milwaukee all the time. And it's really getting to this point where you're wondering if there are certain areas that are that are even livable anymore. And you know, people describe the city of Milwaukee sometimes as being the wild, wild west, and I'm not sure that that's fair to the wild. Wild, wild West. We had the story yesterday about the seven people like in the hospital or whatever after a car crash, and it turns out it's it's two cars that are driving next to each other that, that get into a gun battle, and they're, they're shooting at each other. I mean, like I said, in, in the worst days of Dodge City, I didn't know that you'd have horses riding through town with people shooting at each other, but yet that is precisely what is happening in this city. So, you know, hopefully when people go to vote and choose who they want to be on the mayor and who they want for common council, so they'll, they'll try to think about what kind of community they want to live in. All right, back to wrap up in just a minute, and then we'll have Brewers baseball. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
So very glad to have you with us. No Wisconsin's afternoon news this afternoon because we've we've got Brewers baseball coming up, and doesn't that again just just sound great? I just I am so thrilled that they were able to you know work out all their differences and you know get the thing settled. And I, I'm glad because you're going to have baseball back, and we're going to have that to entertain us this summer. But as I was saying during the lockout, the thing that I, I'm happiest about in, in many respects is the fact that all the people who've really been kind of messed over over the last two years, the people that that work at American Family Field and at the other stadiums, the people who, you know, make, whether it's their side hustle or whether they make their living by, you know, selling beer and working at the concession stands and doing the parking and all those types of things, those were people who were shut out in 2020 because of COVID, through, through nobody's fault. And then even last year, because baseball came back, you know, sporadically and it took a while to get everyone back, they, you know, those were folks who, again, weren't, weren't able to get the full benefit. So, this year, it's going to be a full 162-game season. You know, that's great. People are going to be able to go back. I think that the Brewers are going to have a really good team. But I think it's also especially nice for the people who work, that the so-called, and I'm using it in air quotes, you know, the, the little people, but the folks who, you know, use that to, to make that extra money, not the players that make millions, not the owners that make billions, but the folks that, again, make necessary money by doing the stuff to enhance everybody's experience at the ball game. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that's really, really cool. And that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to. And like I say, I, I'm thrilled to have baseball back. I'm thrilled to listen to Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre on the radio, and you'll be able to hear Brewers baseball in just a couple minutes. Also, again, mark your calendar. Opening day is April 7th, the home opener. We always do the big things with the home opener. That's April 14th. Looking forward to it this year. That's it for me. I'm out of time. I am back 12 noon tomorrow when we do this all again. Have a great Tuesday. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.